Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 132 called John. Infertile AF is supported by First Republic Bank. With a best-in-class banking app that allows you to bank anywhere, anytime, and a dedicated personal banker when you need one-on-one service, First Republic is uniquely positioned to offer the best of both worlds. With this combination of personal attention and convenience, it's no wonder that First Republic Bank has a client satisfaction rating two times the industry average. So whether you're opening a personal line of credit or planning for your retirement, you can count on First Republic to be there for you every step of the way. Visit firstrepublic.com today to learn more. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Today's episode is brought to you by Belly, prenatal vitamins that help get your body the healthiest it can be to welcome a new little life. Belly's vitamins are formulated to optimize fertility and prenatal health for men and women through all stages of pregnancy, from conception through to post-pregnancy. Belly's revolutionary science-based formulation fuels your fertility to help support egg quality, hormonal balance, and increase your overall fertility health. And thanks to science, we know that sperm counts. Belly's for men prenatal, specially formulated with clinically proven nutrients, optimized to help increase sperm count, improve sperm morphology and motility, help with egg penetration, and boost overall fertility. To get started with Belly, go to bellybaby.com and use code Ally15 for 15% off your first month of either Belly Women or Belly Men. Again, it's bellybaby, B E L I B A B Y.com and use code Ally, A L I 15 for 15% off. Thanks, Belly. All right, guys. So, my guest today is John Waldman, and he is the author of the book Swimming Aimlessly, which takes a deep dive into the six year infertility journey that he and his wife went through. It was a space that needed to be filled, he tells me. There isn't a lot of talk about what men go through, and there's not, which is why I love when I get to share a guy's perspective, whether it be my own husband's in the episode called Vince, or today talking to John Waldman. So he's going to get into it and also share some resources where guys can find support on social media and elsewhere. So I highly recommend listening to this one with your male partner, if you have one or any male loved ones in your life who are interested in this topic. I always think it's so cool that even though a man and a woman might be going through the same thing, you know, they have a totally different experience. So this is John's and I want to thank him for being vocal about this still kind of taboo topic. All right. So sit back and give a listen without further ado. This is John's infertility story. All right. So John, hello, sir. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. So you are the author of the book called Swimming Aimlessly. You have been on our fertility rally support group. We had a great group and we love to have guys always giving their point of view. So let's just, let's start with the book. To be quite honest, I felt that there was a need to have a book that had that patient perspective and had a lot of the discussion of what men go through amid infertility. You know, there's a, there's a number of books that are, that were out there that I saw that were 
either more clinically based or they were focused on the female perspective. Um, and amid all this, you know, there I, and everybody that I've spoken to, there's a lot of perception that fertility is a female condition, that it is a female problem in, uh, in, in infertility specifically. But there isn't a lot of talk about what men go through. And mm-hmm. whether it's male factor, whether it's mixed factor or female factor, there's a lot of pieces that men go through and they go through differently than women do. Uh, for men, you know, there's a, there isn't as much of the, of the physical tie because we are obviously, we aren't the ones that are, would be carrying through, um, in normal situations. We aren't the ones that would be, that feel that impacts more, uh, from the physical side when you're dealing with something, uh, like a pregnancy loss. Mm -hmm. So I felt like there, like there needed to be more of a voice about a lot of the, the, inner turmoil, the mental health, the decision processes, the, the, how men deal with not being able to do what naturally come is supposed to be natural to us. I, I just, I just felt that, that there needed to be a, a better top uh, discussion about it um, mm-hmm. from when I was going through our family's uh, infertility struggles uh, between 2009 and 2015 uh, right. for, for what guys go through and what I went through, you know, there weren't a lot of supports back then. Um, thankfully the, the dialogue is changing and there's more resources now, but I felt that really a book was going to be a, a sm- uh, strong way to engineer and to get those conversations going together. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was just something that I felt like, you know, it was a space that needed to be filled for, yeah. for lack of better, uh, lack of better uh, expression. Right. So tell me about what happened in 2009. Is that when you guys started to try? That we started to try um, in 2008, but it was in 2009 that we had a miscarriage um, okay. about eight, about eight weeks into the pregnancy. Mm. Um, we had already been having trouble conceiving before then. Uh, however, it was really with that that loss that that it really hit home. That mm-hmm. you know, there's that something isn't working here. Um, we had suspicions before, but um, once we were able to finally get in to see a fertility specialist just because um, we had um, been trying for so long and, you know, had the, had the, that experience now having gone through a loss, um, we were able to get in a little bit quicker than you normally would where the process is usually that after a year, you would be seen by a specialist. Right. So tell me what, were, what were your suspicions? Like what was happening when you guys were starting to try and it wasn't happening before it's the loss? So- you know, there, there, it's not that there, there was anything that we, that's, you know, we really thought much of, you know, we, we were, you know, we sort of had those, those questions of, you know, are we taking care of ourselves properly for me? You know, I was, I mean, I was an avid biker, um, loved biking and, you know, what wasn't as, as worrisome about, you know, carrying my phone, in my front pocket or, or, or any of those kind of factors. So, you know, you just take those precautions and you start to look more at, you know, the right time of the month, the using basal thermometers, those kind of things that we all go through. And, you know, you, you sort of, but we were still, you know, a little bit cautious. I mean, you, unfortunately you hear from friends, oh, it just took us one time and then it just happened. Or you hear mm-hmm. about the oopsies and things like that. Right. And it's when, and no matter what it is, you know, whether, whether you're struggling to conceive, whether you're, you know, you're coming out of school or you're, or you've had a job us and you're trying to get a new job and it's taking you six months compared to friends who are getting a, a position within two months, you know, you're start, you're, you're, you're questioning yourself and you're questioning how you're going about things. So you, you start to question that, but you, you sort of just plug away until you, until you get to a point where there's is 
an actual medical foundation, what you're doing. Um, certainly, you know, if the, if resources were greater available or if people were paying attention to their fertility in, gen, in the general sense, um, I think that a lot of the, the infertility community would have a, a better pathway in their twenties um, than what, than when a lot of people are exploring and trying to have kids, you know, in their late twenties, early thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that has been a, a major topic of discussion in some of the circles that I've been in. Absolutely. So what was going on like with you and your wife, like emotionally, how were you guys handling this? It was stressful. You know, when you, when you, when you get to that, you know, there's a lot of the, uh, the romance, a lot of the passion, a lot of the, you know, the spontaneity that comes with, with sex and intercourse Mm -hmm. that, you know, gets lost immediately. Um, There's some frustration that builds up also, as you, you wait, you, you get the, the test every month and, you know, you don't see the lines or the plus sign or whatever symbol it is on your, uh, on the test that you're taking. And then what, and I think even greater than that is that when you have that success and then you end up with a miscarriage, it hammers you. Yeah. It, it, and, and from the guy's perspective, I mean, obviously, you know, like I said before, it's, it's a different Im- sort of impact, but you know, there's still that, that feeling of failure of what did we did wrong? What did we do wrong? What did, you know, what could we have done differently and all those kind of things. And the reality is that in a lot of cases that there isn't anything you could have done differently. Um, even when you look at the basic that one in four pregnancies ends in a miscarriage, mm-hmm. you're a lot of the time it's happenstance and you can be doing everything right. You could be one of those people that gets pregnant on the first time um, or conceives on the first time, but you know, that's, there's all there's all sorts of factors that can that can come and that can come into play, you know, especially in the early weeks of a of a pregnancy. So it definitely definitely hits harder, you know, especially when you've been trying for that long, and now you've had a success, but now you're taking, you know, you're you're what you were one step forward, and now you're two steps back. Totally. Um. So that really hits a lot harder than than you know trying and and not having any success at all. Right. So what happened when you guys finally did go in to see an RE? We were basically, <laughs> we had probably the most awkward and in a way, not so helpful conversation that I've ever had. First of all, and, and I've told the story a couple of times, but we went, when we went into our, to see the, uh, to see the doctor, we were going into an office where he had pictures of his family all over the place. And, you know, it's, it's sort of like, uh, I liken it to if you're a physiotherapist and your and your doctor has all these pictures all over the place of him or her running a marathon or how to pedal. Totally. Kind of you know, it, such it's, a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, so you're basically it's, it's right in your face of, Hey, look, I've had success. Yeah. You know, that it, seems it, so it, insensitive. Like, why would they do that? You know, the, the particular doctor we were at, at the, at the best of times was described as not having the best bedside manner, mm-hmm. but yeah, in general, like it's not, it's not something that you consider a good practice by any stretch of the imagination, but, it, but then we, you know, you start to get to, to hear comments like the good news is that you got pregnant once. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, okay, that's, yeah, that's a good thing because it could be worse. But at the same time, you know, it, it, I, I, and forgive me, I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. The book is a, rit- a title originates from it, but I think of of the Seinfeld episode where Jerry was trying to uh, reserve a uh, a rental car, and mm-hmm. the 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 idea that he emphasized was that you know it's one that anybody can take a ticket uh, a reservation. It's holding the reservation that is the most important. So when you're mm-hmm. so you know in the same way that if that when you have a miscarriage 
that it, anybody it's it's a little comfort to to be to know that you can get pregnant. The problem is staying pregnant and getting right. and carrying through the term healthily. Right. So when you do that, after you go through the, the first couple of tests as we did, and you get a, end up with that that diagnosis of unexplained infertility, um, and you get the results back of like I got back of a of a of a lower but not you know full red zone of motility in my sperm. And when you're and when you're looking at those at those things, you know, you, you start to, you know, look at, okay, what are the things we can do? And you start to have a little bit of that, of that internal panic of is, you know, is, is there something that I did in my, in my younger days, you know, like not wearing a cup in floor hockey or something like that, that could <laughs> right. have impacted, but yeah, you really, you, you know, your mind starts to race everywhere. You start to go to look at every possible scenario. You start to have, you know, you go, it, it open in a way when you have that unexplained infertility, it opens a lot of, of doors, you know, what are the, obviously what are the, the drug protocols that you could do. What are the, the, I, you, do you do IUI first? Do you go straight to IVF? Do you have to look for surrogates? Do you just start to get on an adoption list? What do you do? So there's a whole different assortments of mm-hmm. opportunities that are out there. But along with that, you have, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stress and anxiety that comes with it also. Totally. So um, wait, because so tell me, sorry, sorry tell ahead. me about the Seinfeld book, book reference. What is that exactly? <laughs> So the so the title uh, "Swimming Aimlessly" comes from uh, George Costanza. Actually, when he uh, once uh, declared at one point, mistakenly found out that he was a that he had that he was the father of a of a child. He he exclaimed, "My boys can swim!" So uh, for me, you know, I, I thought that, you know that's you know the way that uh, that sperm move and uh, in morphology or how. Or in, in other respects, I found that swimming aimlessly sort of summed up the best way uh, to describe how men go through their infertility struggles. Right. We really, and it, and it, it relates back um, in a number of ways to what has been around for men for decades, both in terms of uh, research on male factor infertility and how men in general have not been given many opportunities to express themselves properly in in virtually any mental health situation. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it, it really starts to impact and we, we feel like we're aimless. We feel like there is no, there's no guide that can help us through, through the trials and tribulations that we're now approaching. Right, right, right. Love it. I love a good Seinfeld reference. Not as big of a fan of yours. So I did need that context. <laughs> um, all right. So let's go, go on with, okay. So you went to see the specialist and, and what did they tell you guys to do? What did you end up doing in terms of your treatment? We we sort of went through um, first. We did the tests um, where I had the uh, the unfortunate uh, swab test incident. We went through the um, you know we did we did uh, drug we tried uh, letrozole and clomid. Did an IUI, but ultimately none of that was helping. And at one at one point after the IUI, we were given that sort of. I guess the the welcome to McDonald's approach of it's up to you what you want to do from here. We weren't going to, you know, they 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 weren't really going to be helpful in steering us in one direction or another. Uh, by that time, we had already joined what was then the inter, the um, Infertility Awareness Association of Canada, now Fertility Matters Canada, um, in one of their local support groups. And by that and at that point, we were starting to look at. You know what are the the other options that we could do, and we ultimately said that we that you know we're going to have to go out of town for it. And there there were some couples that had already um, started to look as well. Um, one couple had been already on their path to going to Calgary, Alberta, uh, for their treatments. Um, others were talking about how they either had someone or knew someone that had gone to all these different places. So we start we ended up uh, choosing Victoria, British Columbia, and I'll say this that it was at the time because this was. 
it was it's recent history, but this was in 2014, which in fertility terms is eons ago. Um, but they were a, they were a little bit more exploratory in their uh, processes. And when we met with our doctor over Skype, you know, he was able to pretty much give us a a pathway right away. And we knew that we were making the right decision. Mm-hmm. Um, it was certainly nerve wracking to, you know, consider all the options that were available. The, for the situation for us in, being in Winnipeg, Manitoba, we only had what had one local uh, fertility clinic. Mm-hmm. So for any options versus if we were in Toronto, or if we were in a number of centers in the States that have three or four, or even more uh, clinics with, within reasonable driving distance, you know, it'd be one thing, but Ultimately, you know, we had, there was a, the world opened up to us um, and we, but we ended up choosing Victoria, like I said, because of the, the feelings that we got from our doctor. And, you know, it was only a couple months later that we were packing up as much of our house as we could uh, into, into our hatchback and driving uh, for what ended up being 24 hours total of driving to get to our destination where we were going to be living for a month during our, our procedure. Okay. So you decided to pick up and move and go there. What was that whole thing like? Like what were the, what was the nerves level in, on that drive? Like, this is a big, big move, right? It definitely was. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, and I'll, I'll forever be thankful to, you know, the support that we had, you know, one of the, I mean, for me, um, you know, having, having my work say that, yes, it's fine to be working remotely for a month or for three weeks and then coming back for a while just to, to be in some in-person meetings was certainly helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you tell work what was going on? I had to, you know, and when you're, and I, it was not an easy conversation to have, but, you know, I, in, in a way, I guess I, I hesitate to use the word, the word fortunate, but I had my VP was, was already was in an infertile stage. Um, a couple of my clients, even as I as I discovered, were had the had issues as well. So I was able to find a very comfortable place where I could talk about you know what, why I was going to be going going to be disappearing for for three weeks. But mm-hmm. um, you know the the other advantage that I, that that came was that as I that my work was able to help me in finding loopholes in our health plan whereby drugs for the tr- for the purpose of fertility treatments were not specified as as uh, as a no-no and that saved us a couple thousand dollars in uh, as the treatment went uh, went in for IVF mm. um, but certainly having those having you know friends and family who we had started to talk with um, about the uh, about what we were going through certainly helped and you know we, we we, you know, I'm sure that there were people that wondered, hey, why are they all of a sudden having pictures of driving through Saskatchewan and Alberta popping up on their Facebook, right. um, wondering what the heck we were doing? But, um, but you know, it, it was something that we that we that we we just said that you know what we got it. We're doing this for ourselves. We're not doing this for for anybody but us. Mm-hmm. It, it was certainly you know the the advantage of going to Victoria, BC. And I'll say this for anybody that's that's in the the upper Midwest as well. Um, if you have, and if you if you're living in Minnesota or North Dakota, I highly highly encourage you to, to explore out on the West Coast because the just the the atmosphere out there was incredible. You know, it's your your ocean side. You're in a particularly in Victoria. There's a very much a bit of a mix of rural and and urban that has a very relaxed, very calm very chill atmosphere. 
So you're, so when you go, so when you're do you're going there, you're, you're almost embarking on what a lot of people describe as their uh, fertility vacation, you know, and, and I've heard of some people, you know, we had some, um, had a had a couple in our in our support group that went uh, to the Czech Republic for an egg donation, um, and they ma- and they made the, the same sort of um, journey out of it. You know, they went they did a full European tour before they ended up in the, in the Czech to have their procedure. So when you're doing that, you're putting yourself in a dim- different atmosphere. You're putting yourself in a different headspace and a different physical space. Mm-hmm. So for you know, even though I was working you know, starting uh, with the time change at seven o'clock in the morning, I was done by three o'clock. Um, at that point, we could take our dog out to the beach. We could tour around a bit and have our, our relaxed time out in Victoria and be able to be more calm. Right. And which is so and, important and, mentally, and which was absolutely. I feel no like question. that word vacation though, could be a little bit triggering. Maybe it's more of a trek or like an excursion. <laughs> like it's know, a tr- it's, um, in a way, I mean, in a way it is a trek and in a way it is a journey, but and and I and I saw this in a lot of the articles as I was researching um, for for the chapter that I wrote about traveling to traveling for infertility treatments was that a lot of people do look at it as a vacation because you're getting out of your that headspace that you're trapped in when you're in your four walls and you're mm-hmm. surrounded by you know all your fertile friends you're sur- surrounded by family who are pre- potentially providing you with unwanted or unhelpful advice you're really getting out of that space the same way that's when you're taking a break from work and you're you know even if you're going up to a cabin or if you're having a staycation as it might be with covid you are you're really taking yourself away and you're getting and it and it, you know it, it's it seems it it might seem to some people that it that it's not term but you know, there's a lot of things I think that people, when they're, when you're deep in, in infertility, you know, you need to find those escapes. You need to find those breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same thing with the attitude towards humor um, that's, that I and others have um, and how that's a great um, aid in mechanism for infertility. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so having those, having those brain breaks and having a physical break as, as, as you do, when you're going to another location, it really um, can make all the difference in the world for your, for your mental health. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about what happened over the course of the next month. What, what were you guys doing treatment wise? And did, was, did you find something that, you know, you you realized you guys were on the right path? Just by the, the simple fact of being out there, um, you know, we did there, there was obviously a drug protocol that led up to, to the procedure. Um, we had obviously had a few nervous days as we were in, when we were in after egg retrieval and, mm-hmm. And uh, sperm mixing. Um, How did the, the retrieval uh, go? And like the next, you know, the waiting for the embryos and all that. The retrieval went very well. We had a high had a high number of uh, of eggs that were retrieved. Um, we had a high number of embryos that were that were created. Um, How many? Fi- Do you remember? I know it's hard um, to it remember was, the specifics sometimes. Yeah, it was north. Of, it was I think around um, like. Oh. Sorry, my wife is reminding me. Thank you. Oh. Um, um, that we had. Hello, uh, John. 12- What's your wife's name, John? Ilana. Hi, Ilana. <laughs> <laughs> so we had, we had, so we had uh, uh, 12. And then uh, from those, there were, by day five, there were, uh, there were 10 that were good candidates. Um, the strongest one uh, was, was implanted and <laughs> timing being what it is that the implantation day was the same day that I had to fly back to Winnipeg for those, all those in-person meetings that I had to be oh, at. Wow. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was certainly you know a stressful time, but it was also a um, you know 
a lot of crossing fingers, a lot of, you know, checking mm-hmm. in on mm-hmm. uh, as much as I could. And, um, and just, you know, being in a, in a different headspace, even though I wasn't in the, in the same physical space and just you right. know, trying to do the best we could. And then when I flew back out, um, you know, to, to, to pack everything up and to, for us to drive back was a journey, but it was, um, you know, we, we were nervous because we, you know, we obviously, you know, hadn't had our, our results of whether it was successful or not by that point, but we were, um, you know, it, it, it felt good to be back there and to be driving back as a family. Okay. So what happened after the two week wait, as it were? We uh, found out actually um, just after we left Vancouver, we got the call and that we had, that it had been successful. Um, so we pulled over to a, um, to a little tourist stop and uh, had a little celebration, but we were still obviously nervous because, mm-hmm. you know, the last thing that, that we want is to have gone all that way and done all those things and then to have a, uh, another miscarriage. But um, so we were kept on, we were closely monitored back home. There's another drug protocol that, that we went through, but it ended up successfully. And we have now a, as she says, five and a half year old girl um, is just full of life and full of wonder. Tell me about the, you know, let's talk a little bit more about the emotions that you felt. And again, you know, I love to get into the male point of view. What was it like seeing your wife suffering and going through this? I mean, obviously you were suffering as well, but it's different from the woman and the man. And what, what kinds of things did you do to try to comfort her or take care of her? during yeah. that time i think and, it, and it's sort of the, the the instinct for men is to shut down ourselves as much as we can and just to ignore our feelings and be you know you, you're there to support your wife and honestly it's the worst thing that's that you can do from the standpoint that it, that it, that you have trouble communicating about yourself and if you're not taking care of prop, proper care of yourself you know how can you properly be taking care of those around you you know, it, and and it was something that I that honestly I failed at. By nature, men are problem solvers. Um, and something that I talk about in the book is that you know what can, you know men look for, jump to what can I do? How can I help? Can I do this, that, or the other? When you're <laughs> unless you're a uh, duly a therapist and a fertility doctor, you can't do anything, mm-hmm. um, or you can't do what you think you can do at the very least as a male. So. In, at, a, at a certain point, you know, you sort of have to go back and actually look at, you know, what can I do for myself and what can I do to prepare myself for this journey? And honestly, it was so hard for me to even process it. And, you know, for, I, I can admit it, you know, I was a pain to deal with and I was, it was hard to talk to me for, mm-hmm. for a long time. And it took too long for me to actually smarten up and realize that I needed to sort of my thoughts, sort of, sort of my feelings in order to be able to move ahead if we were going to be able to have any sort of success. Yeah. Cause were you like, just kind of withdrawn or like, what's your way of coping with hard times? Um, video games is a, is a great coping mechanism for me, but um, <laughs> no, in, in general, like I, you know, I, I have trouble at the best of times. And I think a lot of men will say the same thing that, that we have trouble processing a lot of things and we have trouble having those inner conversations you know the part of what we're dealing with though is not our fault because we've been taught and men have been programmed for so many decades if not centuries that you rub dirt on it you get back in the game you you don't emote you do you you're supposed to be the rock the strength and all those kind of things Mm -hmm. there are times though that men just can't do that and you know there's a lot of people that are changing those conversations in Canada, for example, Michael Landsberg has been a 
a huge advocate and talk in bringing forth his anxiety and depression issues. And he being one of the most prominent sportscasters in Canada, you know, he had a, the perfect platform to do so. But, but yeah, like it's for, for me, like I was already unfortunately predisposed to mental health issues mm-hmm. um, just because I'd gone through a lot in high school and even into university just with feelings of inadequacy and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, dealing, trying to, to had to manage myself and manage what I was going through. I didn't do well with it. I um, mean, it took a lot for me to get through it. I'm glad I did obviously, but it's, it took too long for me to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. And I think the mental health component is something we've been talking a lot about. Um, I recently had a friend Amber on, and we talked a lot about how infertility exacerbated her OCD and mm-hmm. a hair pulling disorder and her anxiety and depression. So I think that that's something I'm really interested in talking a lot more about. Um, so mm-hmm. what were you doing in terms of like, did you go to therapy or what were you doing for your mental help? Did go through therapy, mm-hmm. um, both couple and individual. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through, I also got on, on an antidepressant. Um, the unfortunate side of, of a lot of the antidepressants is that it um, it affects your your hormonal drives. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's something that when, you, when you're looking at the overall picture, you know, sometimes you have to you have, you have to sacrifice a little bit of that um, in order to get to your goals and then, you know, possibly supplement other ways. Uh, for me as well, a lot of it was changing habits, you know, laying off the um, the greasy food that I love so much mm-hmm. um, or, or at least lessening it, mm-hmm. um, you know, looking more and. You know, one of the things, unfortunately, that I that that comes with anxiety and depression is pulling out of the activities that you love. So for me, I loved floor hockey, and it and I just beca- it just became difficult for me to to push myself to go out on on nights to to do that. So you know, sometimes I would just find alternate things to do. I would get into more exercise and go doing more walks and things like mm-hmm. that. But ultimately, what's gonna what was gonna work best for me was to have more of a thought of you know, that's that, that whatever I, that I, I just needed to push through and I needed to have those conversations and being in the support group was honestly fantastic for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, while, while men in the group weren't as, I guess, conversively present, uh, as one would hope, just having some of the presence there and having, um, having anybody to talk to who was in a similar situation helped immensely. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was in a period, you know, in 2013 and 2014 before, the popularization of a lot of the Facebook groups, um, right. especially for men. Um, thankfully, now there's a, there are male-focused support groups right. that are um, that are across uh, Facebook and extremely private um, and hidden from uh, from public view. Mm. But how did you, know, you find them? Honestly, like I, I just it was just through conversations, you know, it was something that as I was researching the book, you know, talking with a couple men that I either was introduced to uh, by, by associates or, or just thought, just having conversations over Twitter or over mm-hmm. other areas and just learning about all these fantastic resources that are out there now. Yeah. Um, Can you share some of those before we wrap it up in a few minutes? Um, I mean, you don't have to write the second, but before we, before we ended, I would love to, for, you know, guys who are listening to know about stuff that they can, get in terms of resources. I know you did a great job when you did our support group, but I'd love to do it again here. Yeah, for sure. Um, There's IVF for dads is probably the easiest one to find. Uh, But even if you just do a search for infertility and men or infertility, 
uh, ICSI or mm-hmm. infertility IVF male or any, or male factor, things like that. You know, those are really going to be the easiest ways to find them. Um, and certainly anybody that wants to learn about specific groups, they can DM me on Twitter or Instagram, and I'd be happy to share those resources. That's awesome. Okay, cool. So finding these people and finding guys, like, tell me, can you give us a window into like a conversation between guys who are going through this? Like, is it, I'm sure it's not easy to get the ball rolling, but once you do, I'm sure the conversations are amazing. Like what are the concerns that in general you think that men are having when, when going through this? I think that the, the, the biggest concern is that there isn't a single diagnosable or, um, or something that can be prescribed to help men. Um, and it's because there is so painful, we little research that is done about male factor infertility. When you compare to what is being done uh, for women and what has been done for decades now, it's criminal. You know, when you look at the the basic stats, that male factor accounts solely for thirty percent of all infertility cases, and then you blend in that mixed factor accounts for another twenty to thirty to forty percent of cases. That's looking at a huge amount of the population that is being that has been underserved for decades. Mm-hmm. The conversations are changing. There's more research being done now. There are some actual authoritative treatments that are coming out now, but it's still eons be, uh, past where it should be. So when you're going, so when men are coming into these conversations, one of the first questions is, "I've been diagnosed with male factor. What can I do to improve the motility of my sperm? What are there any drugs that you've tried that can uh, that can increase my sperm count? Or they might be simple conversations." Um, Otherwise, you know, the might, you know, we are we're a mixed factor, we're a female factor. What are the things that I can be doing? Or, you know, and, and for other cases, I mean, it's it's something it's questions that are not more simple, but they're um, but they're more straightforward than than the than the uh, the treatment mm-hmm. questions. You know, like like am I better to have a swim up test done at a lab versus to doing one of the at home kits? You know, what are how do I deal with the with some of the mental health? What do you guys do to um, get, to get yourselves in different headspace or to have those con- to better con- to have better conversations? And really, it's you know it, it's unfortunate that these conversations have to happen, but I'm glad that it's great that these conversations can happen right. and that there are all these resources there now that, you know, like I said, these weren't around, you know, seven, eight years ago when I was in, when I, when I was going through a lot of the, the same stresses and questions myself. Hey, hey again. Thank you guys so much for listening. And thank you, John, for sharing your story. Guys, make sure to check out his book. It's called Swimming Aimlessly. And you can find it wherever books are sold on Amazon and everywhere. John, thank you again. And I also want to let you guys know about Fertility Rally, which is a membership community that I started with Blair Nelson of Fab Fertility. We have got support groups. We have got content. We have a live event coming up on October 23rd, Fertility Rally Live. This will be our third one. So it's an all-day virtual event with speakers and breakout sessions and giveaways. And it's awesome. So definitely save the date for that. But check out Fertility Rally on Instagram and also fertilityrally.com so you can see what we have to offer. You know, we started this because we firmly believe that nobody needs to go through this alone and we want to lift each other up and cheerlead each other on and rally together. So check it out. And thank you guys so much for listening. Talk to you next time.